0: Hello and welcome to yet another session of the BL Podcast where we explore the ever-evolving landscape of the business world, dissecting the latest trends, discussing groundbreaking strategies and interviewing industry leaders who are shaping the future. I'm your host Isha and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest for this interaction, Mr. Ankur Bansal. Mr. Bansal is a seasoned finance professional who is the co-founder and director of Black Soil Capital, a venture debt firm. Welcome to the show, Ankur. Ankur, thanks for joining in. So maybe let's just start with your journey as an investor and the transformation of your own investment strategy over the years before we talk a little about the industry and then we'll move to Black Soil Capital as well.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks, Isha and team uh, for having me over. Uh, No, it's been an interesting journey on the venture side that we've been operating now for the last seven years. Uh, It was uh, some kind of uh, expectation that we had that this space will really grow because we were seeing uh, in 2016 onwards, a lot of uh, startups coming into the system uh, uh, and we had seen some scenarios where, uh, we had uh, transactions where debt was being taken by some of these portfolio companies that we were part of in a different fashion. And we had in the back of our mind that as companies grow, their requirements for capital will also grow and they will not just be requiring equity capital. And that's where the sort of entire uh, germination happened for the concept of uh, the debt business that we got into. Uh, the companies that we started working with back in 2016 to where we are today, there is like a large sort of you know sea change of the way entire ecosystem has evolved, the kind of businesses we are looking at, uh, the kind of transactions we are doing, the check sizes that we're doing, the ticket size, etc. Uh, and the kind of depth that the entire ecosystem has seen has been quite phenomenal. Uh, and we are quite lucky that we sort of got onto this uh, bandwagon at the right time. Uh, and have seen like a really interesting kind of work that we've been able to do and add a lot of impact to our overall thesis of the kind of companies we are doing. So I think if you were to put it, there were like almost three different uh, scenarios of our business. Uh, the first scenario was uh, from the beginning of 2016 till I would say the INFS crisis happened. Uh, then from INFS crisis till the lockdown happened to a small short bridge of maybe one, two years uh, then of course we saw the lockdown open, how the entire business grew and the last 18 months, right? So this various, various buckets, we have seen different kinds of businesses evolve. Uh, and that has also helped us, you know, shape our investment strategy at the beginning. It was a very pure, pure, uh, venture debt kind of strategy where we are trying to, you know, uh, tag along with equity investors, uh, who are backing the company. Sometimes it was like a bridge funding kind of transaction. Uh, but as you sort of start spending more time with the startups, we started realizing that uh, the companies have a lot of requirements of the, across different stages of their business, across different use cases they are working on. Uh, depending on the time and stage they are, they have a different requirement coming up. And different business models also have a different kind of a requirement, right? As we know, FinTech is one of the largest space uh, where it takes a lot of debt for very simple reasons. They have to create an onward lending debt book. Uh, because they are still loss making somebody like a bank won't come in. So they'll always take a lot of debt, right? But it will be a very different use case for a consumer internet company uh, who may want to spend on marketing. uh, Or they may have some small D2C brand. They may have some kind of inventory they want to spend on that. So different businesses at different stages have looked for debt. uh, And we have been sort of lucky enough to work with them. I think in this seven-year journey, we have funded now over 150 startups now. Uh, We have deployed over 3,000 crores in this space. Uh, and that working with them post investment sort of gives you a real actual insight about how these companies are evolving and you know transforming, especially with the lens of time. If you see where we were, so the scale at which the businesses used to operate, I would say till Island of Is crisis etc. was very different, right? And the kind of entrepreneurs that the system had was also uh, not even close to the kind of quality of entrepreneurs that the system has been or the ecosystem has been able to attract. Uh, especially since the lockdown period has happened. And that has sort of given us a big flip uh, for our overall business to scale. And uh, we are seeing that now the transactions where credit has become now mainstream, right? Uh, earlier, venture itself was an alternative asset class. Venture that was further an alternate in that itself. Now it's become quite mainstream and for different reasons, right? Uh, lockdown happened and people obviously wanted... Some kind of capital available. We did not know for how long this entire period of COVID would go on. People wanted insurance capital for that time. Uh, moment we saw the economy grow up, then again people wanted capital because they are raising large rounds of capital. Uh, they also wanted to avoid dilution. Then again, they used to take debt. Uh, and of course, you know, in the last eighteen months, now the funding winter has happened. All kinds of capital has become very important. Uh, and they can't avoid that, right? So this sort of various market scenarios have helped us sort of, you know, create a product for different strategy at different point of time. And at the same time, ensure that we are not taking a risk, which is beyond what the kind of mandate we have from our investors uh, to kind of deliver the kind of returns and the kind of risk that we are taking should be sort of, you know, commensurate to that. And we have been quite delighted with the, the experience our team has done uh, on, you know, creating a very, Strong granular portfolio of transactions, uh, having worked with companies which have gone for IPO as well, companies which have seen strategic sale, companies which have seen large private equity, VC money coming in, or even situations where uh, there would be companies which have become a bit of break-even and profitable, right? And after that, they've never raised any rounds of equity so that's been a very sort of you know in a, in a nutshell a very interesting experience that we have been able to sort of develop and it's still a i would say a long way to go uh, still like day one uh, but i think uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's been quite interesting and exciting for all of us at black soil
0: Right. A lot of stuff that you have mentioned look very interesting for us to discuss. So like you mentioned about the startup ecosystem facing the funding winters in the last 18 months, but as we have been noticing that it has started gaining tractions with a number of sizable deals in the last, like in the past three, four months. So while that being said, venture debt as an asset class, talk to us a little about what has been happening on that front, because while it picked up during the winter funding, now, at present, where are we? Do you see the same fraction or do you see it a little subsiding? What is happening?
1: No, so you're right. So, I would say, that, you know, venture debt has multiple forms. Uh, the plain in venture debt happens when there is a new round of capital is being raised and uh, the venture debt players come tag along in that round and do their they do their own work. But a uh, majority of it is driven by the new round of capital which is coming in. Now, obviously, with the slowdown on equity coming in, obviously, the venture debt will also slow down. So, what has happened typically so far is that most of the market players have started trying to work with companies which have raised larger rounds or are sitting with enough liquidity uh, since the 2021 round that they have raised. So, they're trying to work with them. But there are only that many players that you can work with because uh, when the cash that they had... Uh, And they may not be having maybe a good economics, et cetera, or they're not getting investor interest. So the market opportunity is there, uh, uh, but the transactions that you can do in current market conditions is also fewer. And of course there are enough players in the market, which also means the market is also competitive at the same time. So for us players like us, what it means is that you have to like really uh, get down and do your own underwriting work and and find those businesses which really need debt to sort of, you know, solve for some real use cases. For example, uh, somebody who is on the verge of becoming a break even, maybe six, nine months down the line. And this kind of capital can help them really, you know, complete that bridge funding uh, and post that they can be in a better situation to do fundraise, right? So we have to sort of now not just work on the traditional model of venture debt. Uh, I believe it requires some kind of uh, your own independent underwriting where equity may or may not come, which is the risk we're obviously underwriting. Uh, because some of them are not loss making some of them are loss making businesses but at the same time i believe right. the companies are becoming positive right so they are becoming cash right. flow positive or they are on the verge of becoming cash flow positive positive. and this is the first time at least i can say in seven years that we have seen the entire ecosystem focus on that and we can see from the stock market uh, stock market listed uh, companies itself right how they have uh, been trying to show to the entire stock market industry that how they are trying to become cash flow positive or at least they are in that direction they are heading towards, which is the reason the stock prices have also started improving significantly hmm. since last year, which is what sort of becomes a barometer for everybody in the private market to also follow. And oh. people have started realizing that this is the right way to grow the business. We have to be responsible in the way we want to create a business. Uh, we hmm. raised a lot of capital and now we have to sort of use it very uh, attractively. The rounds which are happening today, typically are those companies which are already in that stage where they have, you know, not really used the money, you know, completely, you know, they have not like spend that money in things which would have sort of, you know, not added value to the business. And uh, I believe those are the kind of companies which are either growing their valuations or they're at least uh, having flat rounds happening. And uh, at the same time, the underlying businesses are growing. So what happens? There are two ways, right? One is your business is growing; you're getting higher valuation, which is the best case scenario. The second, I think, best case scenario in funding winter is you have the same valuation, and but your underlying business has grown, so your multiples obviously have decreased. Uh, but it stays the still still means that the business is doing well, right? Because we are yet to see the kind of downturns that typically happen in the U.S., right? And we believe there will be quite a few that will happen uh, as we go around the next six months. Uh, but it is very healthy for the entire ecosystem and when it's healthy for the ecosystem it's obviously healthy for players like us as well because it means that today cash is extremely rare to have uh, and you have to mm-hmm. use it very, very uh, uh, properly you every rupee matters a lot and today even if you raise five million dollars you try to get uh, you know the roi on it as what you would have done for 15 million dollars i would say uh, because they are not going to spend that money left hand because the entire board literally tracking what are you doing with the cash, right? And at the same time, they want you to be ready for the next fundraise. And of course, today is not the mm-hmm. most easy times to do it. But uh, that's where the founder has, you know, taken the decision to do be a founder that you have to uh, be able to navigate such conditions. Uh, and where in such situations where somebody is doing some interesting business model, you are a category leader. Uh, you have decent margins backing your business. You are not doing a me-too business. You have moats attached to you. Uh, and there is a use case, for example, of working capital. You have a use case of capex. Uh, then, or you want to at least become a bit of break even, and you are on that path to that. So we become a very, I would say, a strong partner in that. And and at times you are also doing uh, selectively some bridge funding transactions where you know the company has uh, some kind of uh, term sheet with them. They are doing due diligence. These deals take longer time, so they don't want to sort of slow down their growth or at least maintain the operations. So we end up doing some kind of those kind of deals as well. So this is the current, you know, various use cases and scenario where the conditions Mm are, I feel, in the market.
0: Okay, like, uh, I see this mention of profitability, uh, coming again and again, right? So from Black Soil's perspective, where are you investing? What is the core investment strategy? Are you focused on profitability? I ask you this, uh, more so to understand from your own kitty, how many startups backed by you are close to profitability? I'm, we'll go uh, to that, uh, where you know, there are a couple of startups that you have backed have gone public successfully. We'll touch on that a little later. But just talk to us about from the core investment strategy of Black Soil Capital and if profitability is something that is core.
1: Yeah, so I think interestingly for us, it was core even before it became as a buzzword, as you mentioned. So I would say as a simple data point, in 2021, in the first five deals that we did from our latest fund, Uh, All the companies were cash flow positive or EBITDA positive, right? So that was two years ago. Nobody was thinking in that direction. Uh, But we felt that we cannot see this the way the liquidity was flowing through the system that businesses will not be in the situation they are in. We didn't obviously know that it will not last for like one year or three years. We have no idea about it. But we wanted to build sustainable businesses only because As a lender, we don't have the same return ratio that a VC has. So we have to be very, very cautious in our approach of building the portfolio, which typically means as a strategy is that first we want to be sector agnostic. In sector agnostic also, we will sort of try to build any sector. We try to not go beyond 30-40% of our overall AUM right at any point of time. So that means, for example, if you have exposure to fintech financial services, we should not go beyond 30-35%. Second is within that space also, we would not like to go beyond 8-10% you know, at the highest level uh, on any one company. So you try to build a very granular portfolio so that if there is an issue in any one company, it should not result in a drag for the entire portfolio return. And on the same, when you added about the profitability part of it, I feel that some for some reason we've been able to attract those kind of businesses all the time. Uh, today, our current portfolio in our latest fund is almost, you know, 40% EBITDA positive. And we have another 20% of them, which will become EBITDA positive in the next six to nine months itself. And we have seen many of those companies, uh, including like, sort of like so like, some Mobik has announced themselves that they are already done two or three quarters of EBITDA positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were a, they were sort of our client maybe back in August when we did last year. So a lot of these examples are out there where companies have been, you know, working towards profitability, and uh, that means that from a lender perspective, the risk is only lower, right? Because as we know, it is your cash flow positive, so your servicing risk is relatively lower. You may not be able to service the entire debt, but even uh, then, the debt is not that much of an issue, right? Because then they even a small amount of uh, debt can always get can get refinanced, and you also become palatable to the traditional financing ecosystem of banks and NBFCs. So it a, becomes a very uh, sort of a from a win-win perspective a very great situation for a lender to be in, uh, especially for a player like us. So that is where the strategy has been and will remain. So today if you given a chance we'll try to build more profitable companies only or at least who have the potential to become profitable. Now somebody who's gross profit negative or, uh, or is like CM1 losing 200% of the money will always find it very difficult to raise capital from us because we will not be able to underwrite fundraising as your biggest moat because that's not typically a debt use case more of an equity use case and that's i would say in our list of 150 odd companies that we have funded not, no one was at the gross profit negative business and that's the reason uh, we can at least talk about a very low uh, write-offs that we have seen in our portfolio so far
0: very interesting, Ankur. Uh, so while I understand the, the idea is to be sector agnostic, right? Uh, but are there any sectors that you try to avoid that might be too risky, that are not very lucrative? Yeah, so
1: I think uh, typically, as I said, business models which show gross profit negative becomes the way to look at it. And some of those companies earlier were uh, in companies where there were a lot of discounts, etc. being given at the upfront level itself. Second would be companies that we traditionally avoided at different points of time you avoid a different space. so I'll give an example uh, that in twenty twenty when the lockdown happened, we didn't have any exposure in the q s r or the hotel space or in the anything on the fine dining space okay and, or even if we had one exposure, we exited just at the time of lockdown starting off. Then second, I would take that when 2021 was, we were just starting off, we do exposure a lot in the QSR space because we believe that the world is opening up and then we do exposure in likes of a Chai Point, Yatra, massive restaurants, et cetera. So we started taking specific exposures in this space. So you have to study the industry and you see, okay, some some sectors are going to get headwinds or tailwinds and you take a call. Recently, in the last 12 months, we've been reducing our exposure on the fintech space because we felt... Uh, this is again a lot of that has had to be done by the fintech companies especially since the last year uh, DLG guidelines have come in the RBI guidelines which came in for the digital guideline lending and co-lending etc
0: mm.
1: and of course with the with the entire funding winter etc not many uh, fintechs are ready on the lending side I'm talking about specifically are ready to sort of you know take possibly further exposure from our end so we have sort of been a little slow on that so it, it sort of changes with the market dynamics you could say it's almost similar right. uh, mindset like of how how it happened in the equity markets that you see various things in various pockets and you take a call on them. And one more sector I can mention that we avoided which I think we are can be happy in hindsight was we were not part of the Thrasio models of the roll-up space uh, where in 2021 people were acquiring a lot of multiple Amazon brands so we didn't end up taking any exposure in any of those companies. So this is yeah. some of the things, you know, the way it happens. So today, if you say, what do you want to do more? We are been last 12, 18 months, closely looking at the EV space. We have done three transactions. We want to do more uh, closely following climate tech space. We feel this, as we can see in city of Bombay, we just see outside. You can't see anything, which is never something we have seen. Uh, we believe hmm. climate tech is again going to be a very large focus area. Uh, hmm. Our mainstay businesses like, uh, like the healthcare space will continue to do for sure. Uh, there a lot of the other services, tech IT services businesses will continue to sort of, you know, work on some consumer businesses which have done well, uh, yeah. keep, you know, them and uh, we have also tried to, you know, double down in companies which are doing well because it makes sense to, you know, work with the existing portfolio than to try to find new companies itself, right? So that's you yeah. sort know of broadly, we sort of see some of these opportunities and uh, even though whatever I said, it's not that it's, you know, it's not a rule in the rule book that we cannot change it. Right. It's, we'll still, I'll talk to you today and tomorrow I'll find a funder for fund, a fintech company. So it's not that we are completely against one sector. It's just more at a high level the way we see some of these things develop.
0: And in terms of like, could you uh, list down a couple of uh, these uh, startups backed by you that are like, when you mentioned that they are a bit of positive, profitable, just for us to understand a little better?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, why not? So so for example, uh, right now we have uh, somebody like obviously Yatra who was which went for an IPS also was one of those companies we funded, uh, which was profitable. Uh, then we had funded a digital marketing services company called LS Digital, which is also on that uh, trajectory. Uh, we had funded Battery Smart. It has also become a positive now. Uh, Upstocks is another one which has been IBDA positive for a while uh, we have funded a OEM uh, company which is sort of basically helping medical devices being distributed in, in, in tier 2 tier 3 cities it's backed by uh, Somerset and Morgan Stanley a company called Genworks is another IBDA positive company there is like a long list uh, so I can effective. go on we can take another 40 minutes talking about this but <laughs> I, I see that there is A good list of such companies out there that we find are on that trajectory, right? So, so there is a company called Mozak, which is on the SaaS platform. Uh, It's, it's also a EBITDA positive company. There's a salon business we funded in Chennai called Spallon. It actually runs a brand called Bounce. That's also another EBITDA positive. So it's, we have quite a few and I hope the others also make this list sooner than later
0: right right and now three of like at the starting of the conversation i'd mentioned that you know was going through three of your companies have successfully gone public right so in terms of like talk to us a little on the front of your experience with these company and to what extent of your investment was gone in each of them
1: yeah so i will not try to take credit for much our role in that because as a lender you have only that much role that you can do uh, but it was obviously a great uh, situation for uh, for us at Blackwell that you know s- see some of these businesses reach uh, that kind of uh, situation, being a private company to a listed company. Uh, but it is great that we what we played some role in that entire journey. Uh, and typically, when we play a role, is a time where they really sort of you know need that capital for certain kind of strategic capital that you were looking for their financing perspective. So first one I'll pick up is like Forge. Uh, now it's a well-known business. Uh, now everybody knows about drones uh, and maybe uh, much more than what uh, people would have thought about two years ago. And uh, But when we funded them that time, they had an order book of over 100 crores, uh, but they were not able to get that debt financing. Or I would say they did get some debt financing, but not, not, not enough debt financing to ensure that the project gets or the financial closure happens for that order book. Uh, and that's where we had taken a $2 million exposure with them. Which, uh, interestingly, within uh, I would say less than eighteen months, they closed that loan, uh, because of the fact that uh, they actually executed an order book, and that order book was I would I'd say to the tune of more than twenty twenty five million dollars, which became the revenue for the next year. So the company which had a revenue in the in the year we funded of like three million dollars had a revenue next year of more than twenty odd million dollars, right? So my numbers might be a little bit haywire, but I'm saying broadly is giving the direction where the business was, uh, and they were suddenly made a EBITDA which was more than I think five to six million dollars, right? On that which means the company had the cash flow to actually repay us and that's how they repaid even though they did raise another round afterwards and that's how the repayment happened and in, we had some warrants with us uh, which was linked to that round uh, which we were able to exit post the ipo happened right uh, and it was interesting to see that company sort of suddenly because the defense space has been hot and uh, they have been in the industry for like over a, I think more than couple of more than a 10 to 15 years they have been in this business Uh, being there for such a long time, uh, slugging it out and suddenly seeing this kind of an outcome was not something I think anybody would have imagined uh, in their wildest dreams. Uh, But of course, they were able to execute on the back of growth, on the back of a space where it is a patented product, high gross margin, uh, very sticky business. And uh, because of this entire Make in India initiative slash specifically for the defense space and the kind of products they have, the kind of use cases they were able to deliver, uh, in different times of, they were able to obviously keep adding to their order book, and of course today their market, I think, cap is over five six hundred million dollars. So mm-hmm. that's that's a great outcome. Uh, and of course the team is, uh, really, been doing this for a very long time. Right. so that sort of has helped them, help them from helping on initiatives to policy to creating a market, uh, educating the market, and then sort mm-hmm. of you know going and executing it. So it's a lot of work that these guys have been able to do over this period of time. So really kudos to them. Uh, second one is again a product which is well known because we all would have been a user at some point of time or at least we know about them is Yatra, right? Again, a company which had its own trajectory of growth uh, listing in US, then it didn't have, it didn't go through. There was an supposed to happen that didn't go through. And then finally, the worst thing that could happen to our travel business is lockdown COVID and then scraping through that and coming back on growth. And when they were back on growth uh, is a time when they need working capital financing. Uh, we went, worked with them. We, I think, funded more than, I think, four, five million dollars to them in a couple of rounds. Uh, and that was all required for, because it's a, it's an inventory business. You have to book your inventory with your hotels. You have to book the inventory with the airlines. Uh, if you don't give that, you won't get your volumes that you are looking to pass on to your customers, the volume discounts, et cetera. Uh, and that's how we started working with them because we saw the business was really picking up uh, we could see that from the ticket prices that we are booking, right, how the availability still is remains a challenge, right, how the hotel prices have changed everything. And uh, the margin profile has become great for them. And interestingly, because uh, they went through this tough period, they hunkered down on their costs and they ensured that they've become profitable. And that obviously helped us to, you know, underwrite that. Uh, so somebody like IDFOs may not be profitable, but we saw the underlying auto book was profitable. And in this case, they were already profitable when we sort of looked at them with the first year performance of, I think in FI 23 first six months, they would have shown good performance. Uh, okay. and on back of that, they grew two times, right? So FI 22, FI 23, I think this anyways data would be in public domain. The revenue mm-hmm. grew two times, the EBITDA grew three, four times, uh, we were actually cash flow positive, et cetera. So it became a very good sense for us to fund because on the other side, there is receivables from large corporates who are sort of looking for funding. Uh, third one was an SME IPO. Uh, it's a company called Cellcor. Uh, it's a company of having its own brand of products. Uh, I would say you could say an affordable uh, brand of boat products that they have. Uh, a lot of major part of the business was uh, from feature phones itself. right? So It's a more, I would say, a Bharat brand than uh, anything else, but to see in our conversation within six months to go from talking about an IPO they actually executed that IPO and got some more than hundred times of demand for that uh, and post that the listing also has been good uh, shows that the kind of stage that India is at, right? Because this company, which was doing maybe monthly 100 or 20, 25 crores uh, within our, we still obviously still new in the business uh, relatively to others. Uh, is already at a 40 crore monthly run rate and, and has always been profitable. So uh, the founder, the promoter was at one point of time started his career by selling actually a mobile phone shop somewhere in Delhi, right? Maybe in, uh, in a Chandni Chowk, et cetera. That's how he started his journey. So it's very uh, heartening to just sort of, you know, be part of some of these growth journeys and see how this growth as uh, of these companies have happened and to see Blackstone to play a small role uh, in enabling some of these uh, journeys that we are part of.
0: Right, Ankur. I mean, it's always wonderful when such things happen. So, uh, in terms of the kind of ticket size that you deploy, right, on an average, what is it? And you have mentioned that to date you have uh, deployed over 3,000 crores, right? This has happened over what, uh, how many rounds?
1: Yeah, 150, 170 transactions. So I think the ticket size today, you know, that's another, uh, apart from big sector agnostic, being ticket agnostic also helps us to work with wide range of businesses. Uh, so yeah. we have done companies as small as, you know, taking a call of three to four crores all the way to somebody where we would have worked with a company where we have funded 75 to 100 crores. So that sort of, you know, helps you to work with different businesses at different stages of their requirements. Uh, but uh, answering your question, our average ticket could anywhere be from 15 to 30 crores kind of a ticket size. So 20, 25 crores would be the broad average.
0: And uh, what would be the, uh, you know, ideal stage for you to come on board? I think
1: ideal stage is uh, when you are already on the growth trajectory and you're looking for other capital okay. for that, uh, not mm-hmm. at the stage where you have few clients and you don't know which is going to be your next client uh, mm-hmm. or, you don't, or you have some clients, but you don't know what your your profitability of the at least at the transaction level is in question uh Mm -hmm. that is typically not the stage we like to participate uh but at the stage where you are at the growth you know you have you go out and execute maybe execute in three cities now you want to execute in eight cities or maybe from one it's to go to two cities more or whether it was in india you want to now go global things like that right so Uh, or you're only uh, in a certain sector certain products and you want to add 4 more products but the core sector products are doing quite well so you know depending on those scenarios uh, it becomes sort of a viable proposition for us and the company because uh, for us uh, in our journey we have seen only one company shut down uh, and we do not want to see any more in the future so and uh, that was not an early stage company but Typically, early stage businesses have a lot of things uh, they are still figuring out uh, in that right. journey. So in the first couple of years. The debt may not be the right uh, product at that stage. Uh, it becomes right the moment you have some, some kind of uh, predictability on your cash flows or on your order book mm-hmm. or some kind of client uh, business which is going to come continuously, right? So SaaS early stage makes a lot of sense. Consumer okay. internet may not make much, much of sense, but if you are uh, a D2C brand where you're selling very well, for example, only on your website and you're tomorrow launching Amazon and Ica. So then it might make sense because you already have some predictability of your business happening on your own website. And obviously, backed by good margins.
0: All right. And so far, how many exits have you made uh, like to date?
1: Uh, almost, uh, I think, uh, more than 70 exits we would have made. 70 to 75. Yeah, 75. To so we have, I would say, almost half of them have been exited. Yeah.
0: Okay. Out of the one hundred and fifty we are talking about, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And the idealistic ex- exit strategy is uh, what Ankur here.
1: Idealistic is that they make uh, profits and pay us from that, uh, right. which obviously may be the case. Uh, that is like be really being ideal. Uh, second ideal situation is that uh, you know see ideal ideal is very simple that it, there is no default happening for us as a lender right so there is not even a one day delay happening in our servicing so that for us is uh, the most critical thing. Now that servicing can happen through your current cash flows, it can happen through further debt raise, it can happen through uh, a small equity round, it could happen from a large equity round, or it could happen through a strategic sale. Could be anyways, right? So for us, finally, ideal means it should be good for the company. It's not that uh, to pay us, the company should be, you know, coming to a sort of a going concern kind of an issue. Uh, whatever okay. is working for that business at that point of time, uh, they have to sort of sustain. So typically what we I would say the other way around is that uh, if a company is in a cash flow crunch, uh, I cannot expect them to keep servicing us uh, in a way that they shut down, right? So we try to work in a way that the business is sustainable and uh, find us via media where any of these medium I spoke about can become a partner. It could be just not one of the things. It could be two or two, two or three things which can happen together or at different points of time uh, mm-hmm. to service our debt. So, so it is that's their way. but There's one big differentiator versus you know what our way, our kind of debt is versus the kind of debt of a traditional world is right because this is obviously relatively unsecure. If I see from a security parlance perspective, there is no hard asset. There is no personal guarantee of the promoters. And even if you take personal guarantee, it's not as if the promoters have, unless you're a serial entrepreneur, it's a different thing today. But uh, for for a general founder, I would say that it's not the personal guarantee uh, can Mm -hmm. ensure that money, your, your loan is safe. So the business itself has to be in a shape that it creates that value or at least has that value, which ensures that uh, not only us, even the equity holders and the founder also make some money out of it, or at least they see the business is not harmed in any way. So if there is a company where we have seen deals uh, where there's a lot of leverage already, we sort of pass it on because uh, debt is finally needs to be repaid. It's a big difference on equity and debt, right? As we know, the debt is not permanent capital. Uh, and one more important thing is that debt cannot be debt cannot replace equity, which is some of the scenarios which come to us where we cannot do those deals. Uh, and it's not about pricing, right? Uh, even just because we do a, a 20 or 25% IRA deal doesn't mean that the risk of debt goes away just because you're getting higher yield. Uh, the, the, the equity transaction cannot be substituted by using debt funding. So it can for a small percentage, but not in entirety. So, okay. so that's where the demand for debt increases coming to my earlier point, but uh, how many deals you can actually do becomes sort of a question.
0: Right. And um, this is a little, uh, just for the Black Soils interest, what is your perspective on investment opportunities in the international market?
1: Uh, so international markets uh, get a bit of broad question. I can talk a bit about what we are mm-hmm. seeing close by uh with some time that we have spent in the region around us uh can't talk much about the us because us we are like a billion dollar market day i think are a i think are like a 10 to 20 billion dollar market right i think maybe right. more than that sorry uh it's much more than that so 20 billion dollar market day would be uh china would be i think a 10 billion dollar market so these are all big markets, so we can't much talk about them. Uh, they are obviously ahead of us in many ways. Uh, but after all these markets, I think India is one of the larger markets specifically, as you know, the VC ecosystem. Uh, but as we know, the uh, markets around us, which is the MENA region as well as the ASEAN region or the Southeast Asia, uh, these are areas where uh, the VC ecosystem is growing and the companies are also you know able to attract that kind of capital and the uh, The entire region together is becoming very interesting from an investable lens perspective. Uh, And as the equity markets are getting deepened there, of course, they also have funding winter on all those issues as well, Uh, not having good economics or too much capital going to some of these businesses, etc. But uh, they have higher per capita, as we know, and uh, you don't need to do, for example, you may have to do just one transaction versus maybe 10 in India to get the same revenue. Uh, so that makes it very interesting because uh, and companies the way they function uh, you have somebody you have a you have a company in Dubai can really service the entire MENA region mm-hmm. you have a company in Singapore can service the entire region so and they work very closely with each other right it's not as I think working sometimes maybe in India might be more difficult within states uh, but they have a lot more free flowing capital in those regions uh so it makes it a very interesting opportunity from uh, the debt business to grow as well uh, in right. the future as well so this this we and of course you can see you know online there is globally on private credit this become the suddenly the darling of the world that everybody now wants to do credit uh yeah. it, it, for some reason it seems to everyone much more easier than i believe it is including in okay. india so now, I'm talking about just the beyond venture debt, the performing credit, and other things. So, distress you still understand because we are still reeling under our NPA's issues of the past. Uh, mm-hmm. But we have so many performing credit funds, which is also happening in the Southeast Asia region. And everybody is raising large, large funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there will be always, I believe, fewer, strategy, fewer companies that can take that kind of debt because uh, today, even uh, for a high quality company, there is enough. Capital available from banks and NBFCs itself, right? So okay. there has to be some kind of risk element attached to it for somebody to take a expensive kind of a funding. In in the in our new economy space, it is understandable because you are still loss making, uh, or even if you just bought became profitable, just became profitable. It's not as if you have profit track record of three years or four years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why there is a reason for us for them to come to players like us because we understand that domain as well. Uh, But for performing credit, again, that becomes a little bit of a challenge, right? To find those kind of businesses, which have everything to provide to you from not being a, uh, not having any default issues, not being very profitable, having security to provide and give you that high yield return, right? So it becomes challenging, which I believe means not the case in Southeast Asia, because they don't have the concept of NBFCs there. So there is just the bank. And of course, as we know, banks globally are very credit uh, risk averse. So, there is a big opportunity for those guys to do something uh, in the region.
0: And have you made any uh, investments in any of uh, the regions beyond the country, India itself?
1: No, no. It's it's all domestic capital that we have so far. So, everything is in India only.
0: All right. So, but it is, uh, from whatever that I have understood, I believe that it is an open avenue of interest, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you have to keep, uh, always keep your one eye open around what's happening in the country. Yeah.
0: All right. So um, just one more thing uh, in regards to black soil only, what are the upcoming plans? Say, for example, for the next 12 months, you've spoken a little on the uh, kind of sectors you will be focusing on. Just uh, give us a detail as to what is the roadmap here that we are looking at. And can we expect any announcements regarding new funds, any other exciting news that we can expect this year?
1: Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, our business, I always say there are two parts to our business. One is a deployment part, one is a fundraising part. So, uh, and this is typically the case even for, I would say, a startup, right? They are also fundraising. Even though they say they're not fundraising, they're always fundraising. Uh, It's just the intensity of the fundraise might be different. Uh, So for us, you know, we are structured as an NBFC and we also have a fund a uh, credit fund so we keep fundraising on both sides uh depending on you know the sort of the timing of the capital and where we're deploying and how we're deploying uh so it's a sort of a continuous thing and uh typically as a policy or as a process we are is that once we do something then we announce and not like announce and then sort of you know fail to do that So we are not failed to do that in the past, but we like to sort of, you know, do something and then announce this is what we have done. Uh, So yes, there will be some plans around uh, the new fund. Uh, We will, we are working on something, uh, but uh, I can't share more details beyond that on the new fund part of it. On the NBFC side, we are anyways fundraising all the times and we have announced in the past as well and our uh, NBFC, because it's a debt raise. Uh, NBFC is always raising debt in different shapes and forms. Uh, yeah. Earlier, we were working typically with uh, HNI's and and family office in raising debt. Uh, but in the last 18 months, we have seen a lot of interest coming in from banks as well. Uh, uh, banks and NBFCs. So that sort of is a very interesting development for us. Uh, because so far, uh, I would say, obviously till, I would say if you see the period up to 2020, Uh, startups Mm -hmm. were not as serious as an asset class for if you see the traditional world uh, not even from strategic perspective that they most most people felt this these guys are just burning capital and creating inflated valuations but of course since the lockdown period has happened uh, IPO listings have happened and everybody started realizing okay this is something one has to like also have a exposure to a couple of banks obviously took a larger bet in this space, but a lot of them are still very far away from you know being able to understand these clients, right? Because it's a it's a really good clients to have from a bank perspective because you have X number of salary accounts, Y amount of funding which is coming typically from FTIs lying with you, so much float, so much cash cash flows moving through the system. So it's like a high quality customer base, and I, I personally believe as you see the last five years and if you see the next five years, this new economy companies are only going to grow, right? Very few guys mm-hmm. are out there who are going to be building new cement plants or infrastructure work, etc. Or new infra companies are not going to be coming in or new EPC companies are not going to be coming in that much, right? New economy companies are going to keep growing uh, with this kind of size of our economy and the kind of people that we have created, right? The I don't think mm-hmm. five years ago I could have understood the concept of serial entrepreneurs. Now we're talking about somebody in the fourth selling business etc the wealth is being created right so the suddenly you realize as a as a bank you can't not have an exposure in this space and that's where people like us become interesting because uh, lending to people like us gives them an exposure or a insight into what is happening in this space uh, because uh, we have a very different structure to underwrite them right it is not the typical Bank way of underwriting. It's a private equity VC mindset of underwriting. So we have sectors, sector-specific teams uh, which underwrite these companies and monitor these companies on a regular basis, which is not the way a bank typically works, right? So a lot of sort of, I would say not learning is only one way. When we get to learn when we work with these banks. Uh, and uh, some of them have been co- close partners. Some of them have been talking to us or creating co-lending plans with us as well. But you know, it is with banks. It's it takes its own while, right? It, even though mm-hmm. they won't do it, it will take their own sweet time. So we can't obviously wait for anyone for our growth perspective. But we do like to spend our time and invest our uh, resources, etc., to sort of tell them what's happening in this space because uh, okay. a lot of these become a client for the bank finally, right? So Idea Forge is a great example. Uh, Yatra, mm-hmm. by the way, they've already had banks as their clients, right? So still okay. they needed. Buddy, like us, to help them along, uh, because they needed that working capital financing for for the growth. So I think it's uh, it's sort of works both ways, right? And that's how a partnership can typically evolve, uh, where everybody's adding to that, uh, and uh, and our and our unique structure of being an NBFC and also having a fund helps us that, right? So we can work with F- uh, family offices and HNIs, and at the same time we can also work with banks, right? So that. Uh, gives us the flexibility to raise capital in both different forms of businesses and, uh, and we will be able to provide the kind of solutions we're able to provide on our you know on our customer
0: side on a client side all right uncle Uh, Like you said, uh, as from whatever that you have spoken to us, it definitely seems to be, it's really exciting times right now when we see that we are in. So thank you for taking the time out and telling us what is happening at your firm and in general, whatever that is happening in the industry. It was great having you on the show today. Uh, Before we close, is there anything that you would want to maybe add or maybe want to emphasize
1: more? No, I think uh, it's a very interesting times for all of us. So first, I would like to thank you to obviously having me over and sharing our journey with uh, you and your viewers. I think uh, we are in a very interesting spot from a growth perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. The last thing which I didn't maybe add, I could just add is that a lot of these companies, uh, there'll be more companies will come for IPO I think in the next couple of years with the kind of equity mm-hmm. markets growth that we have seen. Uh, and the kind of ideas that everybody is looking for uh, because uh, there are only that many new businesses that can come from the traditional world. Uh, I think the lesson has been learned by everyone and uh, hopefully that lesson will be, will not forget very soon. And if they, I believe if they do responsible growth, a lot of these companies will see IPO as a very interesting way of exit for the VC investors in them and some really uh, good outcomes will come from that. So I think this is still uh, we're still in the journey a lot of things are yet to happen uh, and the pain is unfortunately not that we have subsided the pain is yet to go through there mm-hmm. is still a lot of the businesses which have to find a logical conclusion to. Uh, but by that time the good business will keep raising capital uh, in chunks shape and form so, and you hope to sort of you know keep finding those companies out there so yeah that's what I think is one last point that I could just add which was there on the top of my mind
0: lovely and lovely like you rightly said exciting times and we look forward to hearing more such um, ipo announcements from uh, from your city as well in general uh, let's right. let's yeah thanks thanks oh. thanks thank
1: you for thank you
0: Angkor.